The world knows it as garbage in, garbage out. Pastor Xavier Reese clarifies the axiom of sowing what you reap. You and I have all the freedom to sow all that we want. But once you've sown, you have no freedom on what you're going to reap. You're going to get in kind. Christian or non-Christian life, it makes no difference. The law of sowing and reaping respects no one. This is what happened to David's kingdom. He was never the same after his great fall. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. David's rule over Israel marked many triumphs, and the nation prospered politically, militarily, and spiritually. His obedience in placing God at the center of his rule led to great blessing for God's people. However, David's transgressions of adultery and murder turned those triumphs to trouble in short order. And though Nathan led him to confess, chastisement came to David on every level, and probably most hurtful was the rebellion within his own family. Nonetheless, Pastor Xavier encourages us that many family tragedies are avoidable when we properly apply the simple truths of God's Word. Let's listen. Second Samuel chapter 15 to 17. Now, notice in chapter 15, verse 1 through 12, David's foolishness to trust Absalom. Absalom affectionately kissed the people and stole their hearts, it says. This is the heartless work of one without a conscience who is completely absorbed with self. This is his father's kingdom. This is his father's people. By the way, remember the prophecy of Nathan to David. The sorrow will never depart from your house. In verse 1 through 4 of 17, David and Absalom prepare for war. Absalom in verse 24 and 25 appoints Amasa as his captain. They encamped in the land of Gilead, verse 26 says. And in verse 27 through 29, provisions were brought to David in the wilderness by Amiel from Lodibar and Barzillai. And remember the guy was where Jonathan's son was, Mephibosheth. So we, we run across him again here. Now, in chapter 18, verse 1 through 18, David's men defeat Absalom. You're familiar with the story in verse 1 through 4. The people would not allow David to go to battle lest he would be the target of the enemy. So the people defeated the rebels with a great slaughter in verses 5 through 8. And then in verses 9 through 18, the death of Absalom takes place. Absalom, of all things, in verse 9, he's riding along in his mule and he gets caught by his hair, his glory. <laughs> and he's hanging, dangling in midair there. And Joab was told in verse 10 through 13. And he asked the young man, did you strike him? And he said, I wouldn't think of it. I heard the words of David. And he said, protect Absalom. And so Joab turned to where Absalom was. Verse 14 says, Joab thrust three spears through the heart of Absalom as he hung in the air. And then in verse 15, the men surrounded Absalom and killed him. Joab blew the trumpet in verse 16 and 17 for the retreat and Absalom was cast into a pit and large stones laid over him. The only thing that remained in Absalom's memory, sad to say in verse 18, was a monument that he had built for himself, having no son. You know about the only thing that's going to last in some people's lives is what they have built, monuments for themselves. And they'll last very little time. What a tragic story. 
good-looking young man, perhaps great potential, but never disciplined. In verse 19, down to 32, David is told of Absalom's death. There were two runners in verse 19 through 23 to inform David. Ahimaaz, in verse 19 through 20, requested to run with the message, but Joab refused him. And so Cushite, in verse 21, was sent by Joab with the news of Absalom's death. But Ahimaaz, in verses 22 and 23, insisted on running. Oh, come on, let me run. And Joab said, ah, go ahead and run. He says, first he tells me, you have no message. But he got tired. He kept saying, hey, run. Now he was fast. This guy was fast. And they both take off. The king, meanwhile, is waiting. Verse 24, down to 32. David is sitting between the two gates. A watchman from the roof is looking over the gate walls there. And he says he sees a man. He thinks it's Cushai and... Also, Ahimaaz, and, and, and he passes him up, he's fast, and he arrives first in verse 24 through 30. But he had no message. David, well, what's going on? Well, I don't know, I saw all these people. Get out of the way. He's fast, but he had no message. There's a lot of people that are energetic, but they have no message when they get there. Too many people today in the church think that the church is all about being a good organizer. Before being a good agonizer. You better have a message before you run. You better make sure God has sent you. Very, very important. David in verse 31 saw Cushai. Who told him that the Lord had avenged him of all those who rose up against him. And then he asked directly about his son Absalom. Verse 32, Cushai told David plainly that Absalom was dead. David's mourning for Absalom is recorded so vivid. In verse 33 on down to the first eight verses of chapter 19. Notice in verse 33, David's mourning was grievous. He wept in the chamber over the gate. He wished he could have died in Absalom's place. Notice the first four verses of chapter 19. David's mourning made Israel feel ashamed and it was told to Joab. Here Israel has gone out, protecting, didn't allow them to go out to war because they knew they'd target him. And, and all of a sudden they come back in victory, but they, they're made to feel sort of ashamed because, you know, Joab's going to bring it out real pointedly. And it says they secretly made their way back into the city. And so in verses 5 through 8, David's mourning for Absalom was rebuked by Joab. In verse 5, he told David that by his conduct, he had shamed all his servants who had saved him and his household. And in verse 6, he told him that if it was being interpreted by his conduct, that, if, that he loved his enemies more than those who had gone out to defend him. And that if they would have died instead of Absalom, it would have pleased David. Kind of a sweet sour. And so in verse 7, he commanded David to speak to the heart of the people, or all would abandon him, bringing upon him the worst thing that had ever befell him since his youth. Now, you have to admire Joab at this point, though he's a rat. Okay, we already know he's a rat, okay? Because Joab was sharp enough to realize what was at stake here. The kingdom. The people. Whatever you do in the church of Jesus Christ, whatever you do in your life and ministry, always remember... 
God's people. God will hold us responsible for how we deal with, how we treat, what we do to God's people. Ministers that forget about the people and start living for the ministry itself, for the glory and the glamour, and they lose touch with the people. Woe to them. Woe to them. God will not put up with that. And so David in verse 8 arose and he sat at the gate causing the people to come to him. So one star for Joab. (laughs) Now notice in verse 9 down to 43 of chapter 19. David returned to Jerusalem. And the people of Judah in verse 9 through 14 escorted David back. And then from 15 to 23 the man Shimei. (laughs) He pleaded for his life before David. Acknowledging his sin. I mean, here he comes. In verse 16, Shimei, the son of Gir, the Benjamite, who was from Behurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there was a house, a thousand men of Benjamin, and so on and so forth. And he came across the ferry. And he just starts apologizing. He fell down in verse 18, the end there, to the king and as he crossed Jordan. And he said to the king in verse 19, Do not let my lord... Impute iniquity to me. Or remember what wrong your servant did the day that my Lord King left Jerusalem. That the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am. The first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the king. (laughs) Opportunist. They're always around. One way or the other. Abishai wanted to take his head off. David stops him. He says, no. The Lord has given victory. Leave it alone. No one shall die today. Verse 23. Then from verse 24 down to 30, the son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, met the king. Notice the contrast. In verse 24 down to 30, verse 24 says... That he had not cared for his appearance since David had left, not trimmed, cut his hair, his clothes, washed, nothing. In verse 25, he was asked by David why he had not gone with him. And he told David about Ziba, his treacherous slander about him, and how he left him there in verse 26. My amazement is verse 27. And he said, slanders. Uh, your servant, my lord the king. But my lord the king is like an angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. For my, all my father's house were but dead men before the lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore what right have I still to cry out anymore to the king? What a humble guy. I mean he is broken hearted. He's been praying for David and everything else. And knowing all this information now. I'm amazed at David. Listen to him. Verse 29. So the king said, Why do you speak any more of this matter? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. What? Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Knowing that he had right information, knowing that this man had slandered, why would David do that? Why is it recorded? So that you and I don't do it. Once we get the right information. Then we can say, you know, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. That we act right. 
And we don't continue with the wrong decision. Very important. In verse 31, the man, Berzelai, the Gileadite, met the king and he refused uh, the king's reward in verse 31 through 37. He wanted to reward him, but because of his age and he's 80 some years old, he said, hey, listen, what, I can't taste food. I can't have delight in music, but I want to go. I want to go home and just die in my own land. But he requested the reward be given to Shinham in, in verse 37 to 39. And, and so David did that. Admirable gesture here uh, of this man to pass this on to the younger man who had been faithful to David. And kind of put in a good word for him. In verse 40 through 43, the quarrel between Israel and Judah over the king is kind of comical because Israel asked David why Judah had stolen him away in verse 40 and 41. And in 42, Judah replied that they were closer relative to David. And then in verse 43, Israel said they had more right than David due to their larger portion of the, of the nation. But Judah's words were more severe and they backed off. <laughs> Do you notice what has happened to the kingdom of David? It has been divided and fractured. Why? Because the throne has been divided and fractured. Like prophet, like priest. Like priest, like prophet. The example of leadership, the example of headship, the example of whoever is on top is so important. There's an awesome responsibility. And what happens to the head the body will suffer the consequences. Absolutely. In a physical way, and in a spiritual way. There is no exception. David's victory was like winning the judgment of an inheritance while losing valuable family relationships in the process. It's not very joyous when you are awarded the estate. The material things don't matter anymore. Because the most important has been lost people. This is what happened to David's kingdom. He was never the same. After his great fall. You and I have all the freedom to sow all that we want. But once you've sown you have no freedom on what you're going to reap. You're going to get in kind. Believe me. Christian or non-Christian alike. It makes no difference. The law of sowing and reaping respects no one. The defeat of Absalom and David's return was not joyful. Let me move quickly for the last one. The ongoing trouble of David and his last words are found from chapter 20 to the second, first two chapters of 1 Kings. First of all, in chapter 20, there was rebellion in the kingdom. This individual Sheba in verse 1 and 2 rebelled against David. David um, secluded the ten concubines in verse 3. Then he commanded Amasa to assemble all of Judah in verse 4 and 5 to present himself with them. But he delayed a little longer. And so then Abishai was commissioned to pursue Sheba in verse 6 and 7. And Joab went with him. And when Joab found him in verse 8 through 13, he grabbed him by the beard, gave him a kiss and killed him. This guy was ruthless. Remember he did this to Abner. He kind of liked this kind of treachery. And then in verse 14 through 22, Joab pursued Sheba to the city through the meteor of a woman at the city when he got there. And they cut his head off and threw it over. He went home and he was done. That was it. 
they figured that it's better to give them the head than to, for the whole city to suffer the consequences. When you get to chapter 21 through 22, uh, there were wars in the kingdom. Again, this is part of the prophecy that uh, Nathan said. The nature of the wars is given in chapter 21. The Giladites had been killed by Saul, so they wanted some vengeance and God allowed it. And um, he gave um, some of the sons of Saul, though he had spared Mephibosheth. He gave seven descendants in verse 6. And he spared uh, Jonathan's son, verses 12 through 14. And uh, he recovered the bones of Jonathan and Saul and buried them there. In chapter 22, you have now the song of deliverance. And if you've never read this, I would recommend that you read that when you go home tonight. It would be kind of a good time for you to read it before you go to bed. In verse 1, it was a song of deliverance from all of David's enemies and from Saul. In verses 2 through 20, the Lord had been David's source of strength and deliverance. He acknowledges this. In verse 21 through 28, the Lord had rewarded David accordingly. And then from 29 to 51, the Lord had enabled David for everything. David was not deceived. He knew exactly who had done the work. Very, very important. Now, in chapter 23, there were the last words of David. What were they? Words of praise. The identity of David is given to us in verse 1. The son of Jesse, the anointed of God, the sweet psalmist of Israel. One of the greatest titles he's given. The sweet psalmist of Israel. <laughs> the source of David's words in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord spoke through David. The words of God were on his tongue. All of this points to inspiration. It is God speaking. It isn't human origin. The principle of ruling over men is found in verse 3 through 4, which is very, very important. He says here, He who rules men must be just. Secondly, he who rules men must rule in the fear of God. And then verse 4, He will benefit the people by the symbolic language given there in verse 4. He will be like the light, like the sun, like the morning cloud, the tender grass. All of that's Symbolic language of the benefit of one who fears God and rules with justice. The promise to David is given in verse 5. Though David was blown away, God was sufficient for it. He says, though he was not worthy, although my house is not so with God. In other words, he, he, he couldn't meet up to this. But yet God had promised, made a covenant with him. So therefore, God would fulfill it. He contrasts the wicked in verse 6 and 7. They will be punished. But you know what? Even at this point, there were foolish decisions made by David in chapter 24. Here David calls for the numbering of the people, the first nine verses. Why would he want to do that? Numbering the people was assessing your strength militarily-wise. Joab objected to that, but David persisted. And therefore, he paid a price for it. Um, Satan can tempt us, and God can allow Satan to try us. But he'll always give us a way of escape. We must take the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. In verses 6 through 9, David was convicted in his heart. And 1 Chronicles 21, 1 says that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number. So Satan tempted him. He fell prey to that. He didn't resist. David acknowledged the sin in verse 10. 
The prophet Gad in verse 11 to 13 gave David three choices. Of those three choices, I like David. He said, don't give me to the people. You judge me, God. Good advice. Remember that. We are bad. The angel of the Lord is ready to wipe out and destroy Israel. He pulls his hand back. David confessed his sins. That's why he did that. There was confession. There was acknowledgement in verse 16 through 17. Here we have a very clear view why God calls David a man after God's own heart. He says, I have sinned, not the people. David loved the people. Yes, he made some mistake. He loved the people. So David was reconciled, verses 18 through 25. And he was instructed by God, the prophet, to erect an altar at the threshing floor of Aruna, verse 18. In verse 19 through 23, as he approached Aruna, he made known his intentions. And he would say, here's a sacrifice, here's the threshing floor. I'm not going to take no money. But David said, in verse 24, that he would not give anything to the Lord, especially burnt offerings that would not cost him. What a beautiful principle to each and every one of us. That we not consider everything we give to the Lord something that doesn't cost us. That we understand that whatever we give to God, that it's out of our heart. Very, very important. And so he offers his prayer of thanksgiving. And the plague is withdrawn in verse 25. Now, 1 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2. I'm going to just abbreviate this for you because we're running out of time. David was old. He's ready to die. They're finding a virgin to keep him warm. Okay, no heaters in those days. And um, David was dying. Uh, Nathan advises Bathsheba that uh, Adonijah is uh, going to set himself up to go in and tell David. And he would walk in and confirm that as they did that. David gives the advice to have Solomon taken, anointed to ride on his a donkey and proclaim that he is king. When Adonijah and his buddies hear this, they freak out. Adonijah runs to the altar, grabs the horns, kind of a, a, a last mercy plea. And David brings him forth and he says, listen, if you behave yourself, it'll be all right. But before David dies, he gives an advice and the last words to Solomon, his son, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And in verse 1 through 4, David, knowing that he was dying, commanded Solomon to keep the charge of the Lord, to obey all that was written for his rule. Then in verse 5 and 6, he reminds Solomon of the faults of Joab and not to let him go down in peace to his grave. So he says, you kill him. And then in verse 8, he reminds Solomon not to forget Berzali and to reward him. And then last of all, he tells him about Shimei in verse 8 and 9. He says, that dog, you kill him. Last words. What will be your last words on your deathbed? It's going to be bitterness, revenge. One thousand a second from entering the presence of God. What are your words going to contain? Interesting question. It's interesting that no matter how good you do in life, if you blow it at the end big time, that's what you're going to be remembered for. Boxers are like that, right? They always think they have one more fight, right? You can retire and have it all, but there's always that one more try. The ongoing trouble of David and his last words were not the most memorable. Not the most memorable. And so our look at David's flight from and return to the throne is marked by these three divisions. The treason of Absalom and David's flight, and it could have been avoided. Secondly, the defeat of Absalom and David's return, it was not joyful. And then last, the ongoing trouble of David and his last words that were not the most admirable or memorable. What a lesson for us. Rich stuff. 
stuff to meditate on. Well, with those last words of Pastor Xavier Reese, we've come not only to the thoughtful end of today's Simple Truth Study, but our character study series on the life of David. Now, if today's study is one you'd like to get your own personal copy of, as always, we're pleased to be able to provide that to you on CD if you'll just mention the title, David Part 7, with your request. We just ask that you send along $4 to help cover the costs. That title, once again, is David Part 7. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then we hope you'll be back for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese coming next time right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com